the uh, anger, right, and the mob mentality that goes on with a lot of these persecutions that you see uh, with the Jews. And so uh, you get the whole historical narrative that's given there by Stephen. You get the uh, crowd gathering around, and then you get the stoning, of course, of Stephen. Now, these stonings, we think of someone just throwing rocks, right? We talk about sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I always thought of someone just chunking little bitty rocks. We used to play games where we'd throw rocks at each other and stuff like that, and you try to dodge the rocks. Uh, no, these were bigger <laughs> rocks that they were throwing, so it was not a, uh, as sanitized as you see. And you wonder, well, how many rocks did it take to to hit someone to kill them. Well, you hit someone in the right spot and they're uh, dead pretty quickly. Um, so I, I like how they started off at the beginning with this huge rock, right? Because, of course, the purpose of what they're trying to accomplish is to uh, kill someone. Now, of course, uh, you have the Father Time Jesus there, and the Father Time God the Father. That's uh, probably not accurate there. Um, but uh, again, you just get a little bit of the flavor of, of what happened in this interplay. Uh, so in your notes, we left off on page 76 in verses 51 through 53. And we see a, a summary provided here of Israel's disobedience. And so why did Stephen say all that he had said up to that point? Because he's coming to this crescendo. He's comparing the disobedience currently of the Jews that he's talking to with that of their fathers. And he's not talking about the fathers in the context that we normally hear the word fathers being used because the word for fathers is usually reserved for Abraham, for uh, his sons, and then for the 12. But here we see him saying, your fathers, your father specifically to you. And I pointed out last week in a couple of verses before that when he was talking about the fathers of Israel, he said, our fathers. We have a common genetic lineage through these fathers. But these, the disobedient ones, they're your fathers. Kind of reminds you of what the Lord said in, in uh, uh, John chapter 8, when he was comparing the Jews to their father. Who? The devil, right? And he says that uh, to them. And so here you see this, this uh, comparison again. And so in verse 51, let's go ahead and read there. And I did not pray, so let me go ahead and open this in a word of prayer while you guys are turning to Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. And I'll open this in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day. We're grateful for uh, the opportunity that we have as saints to serve you. Uh, And in this country, in our lifetime, we've not had to serve in a way that brings us uh, under danger like these uh, uh, did during uh, the book of Acts and, and in the early church, uh, we've, we've been able to uh, serve you and, and do it in a way that's relatively uh, easy. The only difficulties we face are that of our own uh, spiritual enemies, uh, particularly our own sin nature. And so we're, we're grateful for that. And yet we pray that if, if the time came in this country where we face uh, something similar, that you would provide us with the strength uh, to be able to stand up like these Uh, did in the early church and be uh, ones that show forth the indwelling of your uh, son, of the Holy Spirit, and of you yourself, the Father, 
uh, that strengthened them to be able to uh, uh, deal with all that, that came their way. And so uh, we pray uh, that as we continue to study through the book of Acts, we'd have a great appreciation uh, for how these uh, different figures utilize what they had uh, by grace uh, to be able to uh, stand up against some of the things that they were facing. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right. And so pick it up in verse uh, 51. And so uh, remember the uh, context before this, he's talking about uh, or answering to this charge that they're charging him of blasphemy against the temple. And what did did we come to the conclusion of that he was saying there? He was bringing up in uh, the history of Israel why God allowed these different places to be built to serve him. It wasn't because he needed those places and it wasn't because those places are on a, a parallel standing with God. God doesn't need a place to be served. So these places are just that places and you can't blaspheme the temple. You blaspheme God. And so hopefully uh, you saw that, that there he's trying to draw that out of them. That's his answer to that charge, his answer to the the law. You didn't even keep the law. (laughs) The fathers didn't even keep the law. No one has been able to keep the law. You cannot blaspheme the law. The law came from God. And it's all building up to the point that the only person that can be blasphemed is God. Right. And God sent his son whom you're rejecting. Right. You killed him. You slew him. The one that you were waiting on that he sent to you. You're the ones that are blaspheming. Right. And so uh, he brings up all of these examples to to say this. And so it's going to start here in verse 51, where he he finally brings it uh, to a conclusion of all that he said here up to this point. In verse 51, he says, you stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran up on him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had uh, said this, he fell asleep. And so you see, uh, again, his his last words uh, and his last statement there. Uh, But in verse 51, going back there, we see the genetic obstinance of of the Israelites. And so (laughs) why do I say this? He says, as your fathers did, so do you. Now, they could have been in line with their fathers and the common fathers that they have genetically in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who believed in the promise that God had sent to them. Right. 
And they have all of the Old Testament that testifies to the coming of the man that he's talking about and comparing to Moses in the earlier uh, context there. And yet, what did they do? They killed him, just as their fathers did. The prophets that God sent to testify concerning him, what did they do? They persecuted and they killed them. Uh, And so you see this similarity that they have in common. This word for stiff-necked is an interesting one. It doesn't mean that they're walking around like this and and can't move their necks. You've seen these people that have the neck braces on and they have to turn their whole bodies around to to look at somebody. Not to make light of those people, but uh, you see that. Uh, No, this has the idea of it's more of a term of the mind, right? And it comes from um, uh, this idea of being uh, stiff-necked, stubborn, headstrong, obstinate. When you look at a donkey, right? A donkey is is a a stubborn animal. It's hard to train them to do what you want them to do. Uh, And this is what these people are, right? Whatever God tells them to do, they do the opposite. You guys have all had children. uh, Well, not all of you, but (laughs) some of you in this room are old enough to have had children that have grown up and you've seen them, uh, you tell them to do something and they want to do the opposite, right? I was never like that as a kid. <laughs> they want to do the exact opposite of what you say to do. It's almost like just because you told them to do this, they're going to do the opposite, right? You've seen people like this. If you, you didn't tell them, they would do that. But because you told them, they're going to do the exact opposite. And this is what Israel is like, right? That whatever God tells them, they're going to do the exact opposite. And guess what? It's the exact opposite of what they collectively said they would do in Exodus chapter 19. Remember, all that God has said to do, we will do the famous words. And they continually do the opposite of what God tells them to do. Showed you a little something about the sin nature, right? Uh, But this term for. Stiff neck we find in a couple different places I want to look at. Go with me over to Acts chapter 19 and verse 9, and we see it used there. Acts chapter 19 and verse Oh, there it is. Harden. Okay. Uh, And pick it up in verse 3. Well, pick it up in verse 1. It says, "And, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Spirit uh, since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much heard whether there be a Holy Spirit. Uh, And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then uh, Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the, the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord uh, Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And when they, or he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom. 
But various or divers, uh, when divers uh, were hardened and believed not, uh, but spake evil of that way uh, before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, uh, disputing or dialoguing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So you see, uh, Paul, as was his custom, he goes into these synagogues or in this area because he wants to affect the Jews. And what happens? Some believe, but many were obstinate. And it's this word here, hardened, is our word for they were stiff-necked, right? They didn't want to believe. They didn't want to listen to what it was that he had to say. The truth and the facts are there that God is giving to them for them to understand and believe. And what do they say? Nope, 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 nope. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. And it's almost like the uh, 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 what you see there in chapter 7 where they, they stopped their ears. They don't want to hear it so much, right? You ever had somebody saying something over and over again that you just don't want to hear? And it's like you just want that person to shut up, right? You don't want to hear it anymore. And this is their reaction to saying anything concerning Jesus, especially when you see Stephen say, I see Jesus sitting on the right hand of God, right? That really grinds their gears. They don't want to hear that. And this hardened idea comes up with that. Uh, we also see this word uh, a few other places. I, I don't want to go to all of them. Let's try to go to one more, maybe over in uh, Romans chapter 9 and verse 18. Romans chapter 9 and verse 18. Now, in this chapter, we see at the start, uh, Paul expressing his uh, affection for the Jews and his desire to see them saved. And it's very interesting, right? His his love for the Jews that were believers was not the same there when he's watching Stephen getting stoned, right? And he's going to talk about this, and we'll get into that a little bit more here later. Uh, but he has great regret for what happened with Stephen because he was the one that oversaw it. And you kind of saw it illustrated by that video. Is, uh, that was Paul that was going to stand over the dead body of Stephen there uh, in the uh, hole that they put him in. Uh, but pick this one up here and you see this idea of harden. Um, pick it up at verse uh, 15. It says, for he saith Moses or to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto uh, unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, have I or hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and on whom he will or desires. He hardens. He causes them to be stiff necked. Right. He causes them to be obstinate to what he wants them to do. And you say, well, this is not fair, right. He allowed Pharaoh to be hardened just to show forth his purpose. Yes, he did exactly that. I'll answer the question for you. And he's God. Who are you to speak against him? Right. And I, the pastor, will testify to this. Me and him had many conversations concerning this chapter. Right. As I was a young boy, what was I about 12 when we started having these conversations? And I said, it's not fair. Right. And the human part of you wants to say, how could God do that? Well, the logical part of you would say, how could God save any of us? Right. We're all wicked and disgusting and have no 
no means or no goodness in us is worth saving. And so when you look at it from that perspective, and you look at it in, in, in the context of all being evil and not saying that one man's sin is greater than another man's sin, and it makes a whole lot more sense why God would strictly save some and allow these over here to be left to their own devices. It's not like he's saying, zap, you're going to do evil things. He's allowing them to do the evil things that are already within them, right? And when you look at Pharaoh as an example of him being hardened, he was already evil and wicked. God just allowed him to go on in his wickedness. Uh, and so we see that there. Now, this uh, other term that we see back over in uh, Acts chapter uh, 7 and verse 51 that is used here regarding the Jews by uh, Stephen, he calls them stiff necked. And then he says they're uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now, this idea here of circumcision, which was a uh, custom that was to be done in order to keep the covenant or the promise that had been made to Abraham, uh, they, they elevated these things like they were on, on a higher plane than the actual thing that God was using in those circumstances, right? It's like uh, when you see laws made uh, in America, right? Laws are for a specific person or specific reason to stop people from doing things. But sometimes people get so carried away with the words of what this law means that they forget the spirit of which it was written in, right? And I, I can't come up with any examples off the top of my head, but you guys have seen instances where people take the word of the law way too far and it goes past what's intended. Well, this is what these Jews were doing. They were holding and elevating these things way above what God had intended them for. And they forgot the spirit of why they were written. And so they carried out circumcision. They did this all the time. Well, good for you. You're not keeping the rest of the law. You're not doing the things that you're supposed to do. And so he says, you're un you might be circumcised in the flesh, but you're uncircumcised in the heart and mind, your mind, your will and your emotion uh, being at work there. Uh, now, go over with me to Philippians chapter three. And uh, Paul kind of hits on this a little bit. Philippians chapter three, and we'll pick it up at verse one. But you're going to see the, the main point in verse three. Well, he says in verse one, uh, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. You see these people that are so involved with keeping the letter of the law that they disregard the spirit of the law. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, were some of these Gentiles circumcised? Probably not. That wasn't a practice of people outside of Israel. It's only recently that this has become a widespread practice outside of Judaism. Why is he calling them the circumcision? Because the spirit of why circumcision was used is with them, not with these people that were doing it in the flesh. 
They truly understood what God is is trying to do. And so this uh, idea here of circumcision, again, they got very carried away with these things. And Paul goes on to say uh, in the, the subsequent verses, hey, I did everything that I was supposed to do according to the law. Read with me. Verse four, he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might uh, trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You see, these things that he was doing in the flesh, that was keeping in line with what he was supposed to do, being a Hebrew, they meant nothing to him, right? It wasn't the outward things of the flesh that mattered. It was what's going on inside that mattered. And all of these things that he had done, all the way up to the point where he was struck by the the Lord, by that side of the Lord on the road to Damascus, meant nothing, right? All of these things. We're going to look at that more later, so I won't uh, uh, interrupt that. But just to give you an idea here of why he's saying they're uncircumcised in heart. Back over to Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. It's not the physical circumcision that matters. It's your obedience to God that matters and to what uh, he's designed for you to do. And he's going to explain this a, a little bit further moving forward. Uh, You can also look in your footnote there. I do have uh, the note there that the uncircumcision of the heart dealing with the impact of their obstinance on the mind, the will and emotions which make up the spiritual heart. The uncircumcision of the ears displays the unwillingness to listen and understand what God wanted them to know. And it's going to come to a crescendo in their rejection of Jesus. And they show their rejection of Jesus by their actions and their stoning of Stephen. And so we'll see that uh, here in a a couple verses subsequent. Now, he says they're uncircumcised in the heart and their ears. And so they're unable to listen and to heed the message that God is sending. Uh, And so what does that result in? It results in them resisting the Holy Spirit and also in behavior in line with what their fathers did. And so it says at the end of that verse, Uh, You do always resist the Holy Spirit. Right. And so here you have the opportunity before was the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Right. And so their fathers, because they weren't obedient to God, the Holy Spirit wasn't coming upon them. Right. The Holy Spirit was coming upon some in the Old Testament, but not these that were being obstinate to God. And so you see this continuing on with them. Uh, You do always resist the Holy Spirit. Now they have the opportunity now to hear and obey the facts of the gospel. And guess what? The Holy Spirit would come and indwell them. But because they don't want to hear concerning this Jesus who they persecuted and killed, it's not going to happen for them. What else? As your fathers did, so do you. Genetic obstinance. I like that that term, so I used it. In verse 52, uh, we see further that uh, the father's obstinance led to the persecution of the prophets. And so he says, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one of whom you have now been or been now the murderers or betrayers and murderers. Boy, I'm getting these things backwards. And so we see the persecution of the previous prophets 
Uh, and we see this explained in scripture. Now, he's not just whistling Dixie here. We could go back to the Old Testament and look at all of these instances of when they persecuted the different prophets that have been sent. And you would think you have these prophets doing all of these miracles and different things in front of you. You would think you would look to them and say, boy, these people might be from God. They're doing legitimate things that I can't see other men doing. They just might be from God. But no, what do they do? They they kill them and they persecute them. Go with me over to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 35. We won't go back to each instance, but we will look at some summary verses concerning their persecution of the prophets. And so the Lord uh, calls this out as well. Acts chapter Matthew, I call myself (laughs) chapter 23. And uh, we'll start in verse, uh, well, it's hard to come back here and not go through this whole context. Um, Pick it up at verse 24. Now, the Lord spends a good amount of time here tearing apart (laughs) this Jewish leadership, right? He's going to say, woe unto you. I like when J. Vernon McGee uh, goes through any of these passages because he calls out the Greek word. He goes, uwe, uwe. <laughs> and each of these times is very funny. Uh, but here he's just taking them to task. And it's similar. Uh, it's really worse than what Stephen does. Stephen just takes one verse to say, you, you uh, stiff-necked and uncircumcised, right? The Lord takes almost a whole chapter to tear them down for their hypocrisy. And you see it uh, here. I, I can't read the whole, <laughs> uh, even though I would like to, but pick it up at verse 24. Here's how you win friends and influence people again. You blind guides which strain a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortions and excess. So here he's calling the task every single thing they do. Remember we talked about circumcision of the hearts and of the ears or uncircumcision of the hearts and ears. Here's what it looks like in real time. They're doing the things on the outside so that people can see, but on the inside, they're filthy and corrupt. And so he, he calls this out. In verse uh, 25, or verse 26, excuse me, he says, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may also be clean. Now, notice here one other thing that we've been talking through uh, Acts, theme that kind of develops as you see these sides of Israel that stand up in opposition to one another. Is he calling out the, the Sadducees? Do you see him saying, you Sadducees? It's very obvious that they don't. They're, they're, they're liberal. They don't believe anything concerning the word of God. But here he's calling out the Pharisees, the group that's supposed to be the stricter uh, sect. In verse 27, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers. They're cleaned up graves, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisies and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. And I say, uh, if we had uh, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, 
you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them that killed the prophets. Sound familiar to what he's saying over in the... Yeah, would have, would have been great. Wouldn't it? Verse 32. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Boy, he's really calling them out here. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous bloodshed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachus, uh, whom you slew between the temple and the altars. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stone them which are sent unto you. How often would I have gathered thy born ones together, even as a hen gathereth, gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not, you didn't desire it. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Wow, <laughs> what a statement, right? And like you, Brother Rick, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall and hear this, right? And you would think, boy, that probably hit them right in the chest. And they said, boy, you're right. <laughs> you're right, Lord, we repent. We've done terribly. No, it made them even more obstinate and made them look at him even more with contempt. And rather than have this thing affect their minds in a way that they logically look at this thing and say, this guy that's been doing all of these miracles that proclaim that he is the son of God, proclaim that he's the one that we've been waiting for. I'm going to stop my ears. I don't want to hear it. And I'm not going to listen to him. And more importantly, I want to kill this guy, right? This is the same spirit that's in these people here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7. And it's going to cause them to kill Stephen. We see something similar uh, stated over in Luke chapter 11 and verse 50. Luke chapter 11 and verse 50. Oh, this is a similar context, sorry. Uh, go to Luke chapter 13 and verse 34. Uh, pick it up in verse 31. He says, the same day uh, came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, get thee out and depart hence for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye and tell the fox, Behold, I cast out devils and do cures uh, to, uh, today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk to, uh, today and tomorrow and the day uh, following, for I, it cannot be that a prophet perish of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen uh, uh, doth gather her brood under her wings, but you did not desire. And so a similar statement that he made to the other group there, right? Uh, you killed the prophets. 
I was the one that was supposed to come and to be able to save you. The salvation that you're looking for is standing right here in front of you. And guess what? They rejected it. <laughs> they stopped their ears. They rent their clothes. They didn't want to hear it. Right? And we'll see this uh, again coming to a crescendo with Stephen. Now, the testimony of the prophets to the coming of the righteous one is seen uh, also uh, back in uh, Acts chapter 7 and verse 52. And so what was the purpose of these prophets that God sent? They were all pointing to the coming of Jesus, this one that they've been waiting on. Now, they know this, right? They all know this. They know their Old Testament scripture very well. They know their Torah. They know uh, the prophets. They know all of the Old Testament. And yet they couldn't put it together that it was pointing to this one, this Jesus. And in fact, they went ahead and killed him. Uh, but this testimony, and we see it in, in uh, uh, verse 52, and it says, And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the righteous one, of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers. And so, like their fathers, again, persecuted these uh, prophets that were pointing to the one that was coming, they killed the one that was actually coming. Now, in verse 53, we see the address of the charge of blasphemy of the law. So he's addressed these other charges, right, concerning the temple. Um, and now he's going to address this uh, blasphemy of the law. Uh, verse 53, he says, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And so it would be uh, interesting for somebody who's not done something to charge someone else with that same crime. Right. If you were to be a murderer of somebody, it's hard for you to come back and say, how dare you murder? Right. If you stole something from somebody, it's hard for you to come back to someone else and say, boy, you really ought not be stealing. And here you see people who have not kept the law, who act like they do on the outside, charging him with blaspheming the law. And this is why he brings this up. He says, who have received the law by the disposition of angels. This uh, idea here is that the fathers uh, saw wonder involving the giving of the law. Right. And so they were there. They were able to look up on the mount and see all of this interaction that was going on between Moses and God. And they knew that it was an incredible sight of what they were seeing, not something that's normative to the human experience. Right. Even though they weren't there in the presence like Moses were. They saw all of this thundering and stuff that was going on on the top of the mountain. And so they knew that it was an amazing thing. And yet, what were they doing <laughs> while Moses was receiving the law? They were down there serving false gods and doing all kinds of debauchery. Right. And so uh, the fathers uh, did not obey the law and the fathers remained obstinate to the keeping of the law. Uh, and they do uh, in a similar manner manner to their fathers we're going to see. And so in verses 54 through 60, uh, we'll come back there next week. This is a good place to stop. Boy, I thought I would make it through this uh, today. I didn't, <laughs> didn't do so good. Uh, but we see the response of the accusers in verses 54 through 56. And so uh, we'll see their collective emotional impact of Stephen's words. You kind of saw a bit of it in that video, probably was even more uh, incited than that. You ever seen a mob? <laughs> You ever seen people all wound up behind the cause? 
rebels without a cause, they say, right? They're all incited and ready to do harm, right? Ready to do anything that it takes to silence this message that's out. And so we'll see that next week, this emotional impact. Uh, and then we'll look to um, the, the spiritual reaction of Stephen in contrast with their emotional reaction. You kind of saw it there. I don't think it really did it justice. But you see Stephen in a calm, rational manner, right? As a human being, when someone is trying to kill you, <laughs> your reaction is not usually to say something on defense of them, right? Or in defense of them. Father, lay not these sins to their charge. What would you say? Well, what would I say? I would say, Father, strike these people dead. Stop them right now, right? If I had the uh, ear of the Father, if I'm being honest, <laughs> that's what I would say. Uh, but he recognizes the will of God being carried out. He sees the Son of Man standing out from the right hand, ready to receive him. And he knows it's just going to be a short amount of time that I'm going to be in the presence of my Savior. And so we'll look at that next week. Father, we're so grateful for this day and uh, grateful for the opportunity again to look into these things. We're grateful uh, that in the face of our sinful nature, when we'll allow ourselves to be uh, uh, in line with who we are in Christ, that we can do amazing things. And we see that uh, with Stephen here in the face of great adversity, in the, grace, in the face of people who he knew intended to do him harm, he was able to deliver a message that certainly impacted at least one person in that crowd and was able to uh, uh, gracefully face what he was dealing with in that circumstance. And so we pray uh, that as we deal with circumstances that are not even uh, on a level parallel with that one, uh, or maybe someday we will again face th things this difficult, uh, that we would be retreating to who we are in Christ in order that we might get through them. We pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen.